Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Today is our arts and culture show. We'll tell you about the events you won't want to miss. I'm Jade Hindman. Here's to conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. Celebrating 50 years with Casa Fest. We knew that we wanted to throw a big party. You know, 50 years is a long time. And for a nonprofit, for an arts and culture organization, for a social services organization. So we knew that we wanted to make something big. Plus, Julia Dixon Evans tells us about a new book that gives a dog's perspective. And Beth Accomando previews the Italian Film Festival. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. San Diego has a busy weekend ahead. One of the events is Casa Fest. Nonprofit Casa Familiar is throwing a huge arts and music festival at the Waterfront Park this Saturday, October 7th. It's a celebration of the organization's five decades of service in San Ysidro and its neighboring communities. Francisco Morales is the arts and culture director at Casa Familiar. He joins me now to talk more about what people can see at the event and what it means to the community. Francisco, welcome. Hello, Jay. Uh, Thank you for having me. (laughs) So glad you're here. (laughs) So Casa Familiar does a lot of work in the South Bay and border. So can you tell us more about the organization you represent and its advocacy? Yes, of course. Casa Familiar uh, is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. So we've been 50 years in the San Isidro community, serving the border community of San Isidro, you know, the region, South San Diego, and mostly um, uh, focusing on underserved, underrepresented communities, doing all kinds of community work, social services, environmental justice, and arts and culture. 
Like you mentioned, Casa Fest is celebrating 50 years since the founding of Casa Familiar. What does this milestone mean to the community, particularly in South San Diego? Well, 50 years is a long time, but I think Casa Familiar is stronger than ever. 50 years have given us a lot of experience. So I think the community can expect the best yet to come from Casa Familiar. We are really putting all our efforts in serving South San Diego residents, uh, transborder communities as well. So I think this celebration is just going to give us more fuel, more energy to, to keep doing the work that we do. That's great. I mean, well, how did CasaFest even come about? Well, we knew that we wanted to throw a big party. You know, 50 years is a long time. And for a nonprofit, for a nursing culture organization, for a social services organization. So we knew that we wanted to make something big. We uh, have been doing a, a, a fundraising event every year called Abrazo, which is like a we, you, we give uh, uh, awards to people who have been uh, champions of the community. We recognize them. We invite community members. And uh, we used to make a dinner, some kind of gala event. But we thought that this time we wanted to do something outdoors. We wanted to do something um arts related because arts has been very important for organization and we wanted to make something that is for everybody for everybody in the family so the festival includes bands and musicians from mexico and from san diego that are very well known by the community very admired and respected so we wanted to give this to the community basically uh-huh yeah so so what else can people expect to see who'll be performing Yes, we're going to have six different music bands playing from the Mariachi Internacional de San Diego, Mara Zulu with Revival that play reggae music, La Diabla that is a very loved local band that plays cumbia, uh, Liquid Blue who is a Grammy-nominated band that has uh, played all over the world, um, Ronda Machetera that also play cumbia, with this singer of a Mexican band called Control Machete, and Nortec, which is a very, very famous band here in the border. They're going to be the headliners, and they're going to play with the full band. And we will we will also have uh, vendors. There's going to be like art vendors. There's going to be food, different kinds of foods for everybody's taste, and uh, some drinks as well. The event is 21 and older, and we invite everybody of 21 and older to join us. It's going to be fun. It's going to be by the bay. It's going to be a beautiful Saturday, sunny San Diego. So we are expecting to have an amazing Saturday. It is supposed to be a beautiful weekend. So is there any artist you're particularly looking forward to? Yeah, well, Nortec. Nortec is a band that defined electronic music uh, in Mexico and in the border because they combine traditional folk music, Norteño music with electronic rhythms. Nortec has also been nominated uh, for Grammys and uh, and it's very loved by the community. They are a, a classic of the border. Uh, so we're very looking forward to hearing them. They're going to play with the full band and this includes... An accordionist playing live, a, a trombonist playing live as well, 
and uh, of course there are electronic sounds that are going to make us all of us dance you know and hispanic heritage month is well underway will casa fest celebrate that and really celebrate all of the cultures and the identity uh, that fall under that Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, um, you know, the Latinx community, the the transborder community is very diverse. Of course, we are in a very special part of the world. And right now we are receiving a lot of uh, people from all over the world in San Isidro, people looking for asylum, uh, uh, looking to change their lives. And I think that defines the border, that defines the borderlands, that defines Tijuana, San Diego, Ensenada, Mexicali, you know, Los Angeles. We are a whole community of people from different backgrounds that get together in this beautiful city uh, to make the world a better place. So I think that makes it very, very, very special for all of us, Latinx community, and even those from other parts of the world. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. I'm speaking with Francisco Morales, the Arts and Culture Director at Casa Familiar. Francisco, you're in charge of Arts and Culture at Casa Familiar. Why is it important for uh, the organization to promote cultural life and the arts in the South Bay? Yeah, um, arts and culture activities are a great uh, vehicle to bring the community together. It has been a good way to connect with the community, to also inform them, support them in other areas, such as environmental justice, uh, social justice. So all all these disciplines are connected. And arts and culture is a very good good way to do that. Uh, For for example, we um, make this celebration for the Dia de Muertos every year. We've been doing that for almost 20 years now. And people in the community expect this festival, this celebration. It's a beautiful tradition that comes, you know, from centuries. And arts and culture brings all those things, community engagement, families getting together, neighbors getting together, artists getting together. So arts and culture is not just about creating beautiful paintings or beautiful objects for us is a matter of community as well. So are there other arts and culture programs that you all are involved with? Uh, Well, the arts and culture program is actually growing. We just received a a grant by the Mellon Foundation, uh, which is one of the most important foundations supporting the arts in the USA. So we are very honored that this uh, foundation looked our way and recognized the work that we do. So that is going to help us bring more programs. Some of the classics that we do, if, you, if, if I may call them like that, is like the Dia de la Mujer exhibition. It's an art exhibition that we've been doing for 16 years, calling women artists and women-identified artists to share their work in a safe space to talk about relevant issues. The community also expects this exhibition every year, and it's very important for San Isidro and for South San Diego and for the transborder communities. Um, We also have a podcast that we've been doing for almost two years, talking about the arts and culture in in San Isidro, in the border, in Tijuana. We have a a series of video concerts highlighting local talent as well as international bands 
Actually, you can see North taking one of these video concerts. And well, we make exhibitions for the for the community, exhibitions with our local artists, but also with our international artists to engage in these local and international conversations. So art is also a good way to talk about things, about important things, but also about personal things, about love, about happiness. We all need to talk about that. So all these programs have these different goals of supporting the community, talking with the community, supporting the artists, but also engaging in a conversation with the with the rest of the world. And you also oversee The Front, which is an active art gallery and is also an arts education space. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so this is one of our art facilities. The Front Art and Cultura was founded 16 years ago. Before the front, there were also there was also arts and culture programming, but the front became a hub for the arts and culture programming. It became the main space for us to show all these programs. Uh, so it's I think also very important for the community. It's been there for a long, long time. We have seen other art spaces around San Diego closing. You know, sadly, the pandemic took a toll on a lot of them, but the front and Casa Millar has been there steady and it's going to be there for a long, long time. So I think the front is is, is like a, a highlight of, of the community in San Isidro. Awesome. So what do you think about the art scene in San Diego, uh, particularly southern San Diego and our border community? What might people not know about it? Well, people may not know that the artists in South San Diego and the transborder communities or community of artists are very well recognized around the world. There is transborder artists that are showing all around the world. There are um, artists from South San Diego that have incredible talent that are showing in the in big museums, not only in San Diego, but also in Los Angeles. There's a very strong uh, music scene. There's a lot of bands that have made their way, you know, to 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 the people. So I think there there are a lot of talent that we try to show in every exhibition that we do, but we also try to connect them and to help them get to the next stage of their careers, uh, either supporting them or training them or or just helping them to connect with other organizations. Right, and before we go. What uh, what else should people know about Casa Fest? I mean, how can they attend? Yes. So you can get your tickets at casafamiliar.org slash casafest. You can also visit the front and get tickets there in person. We will also be uh, selling tickets at the day of the event on, on, on the door. So people can just show up and get your ticket and get ready to dance. Uh, as I said, it's a big party for us. It's, it's exciting and it's going to be a lot of fun. I encourage everybody out there to please join us for Casa Fest this October 7th, this Saturday from 12 to 8 p.m. I've been speaking with Francisco Morales, the Arts and Culture Director at Casa Familiar, Casa Fest will take place at the Waterfront Park this Saturday, October 7th. Francisco, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jade, for having me, and thank you, everybody. 
Coming up, Julia Dixon-Evans speaks to an author who tells his story through the lens of furry friends. And I love writing from the point of view of, of a dog like this who's sort of un, untethered in every way. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back to Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. In any urban park, you might notice a few wild animals, a squirrel here, a duck there, or some evidence of raccoons. But what happens when all the wild animals who otherwise blend in or exist under the radar all conspire together to plan something really big? Writer Dave Eggers recently published an all-ages novel called The Eyes and the Impossible, and he sat down and spoke with Julia Dixon-Evans. Here's their conversation. The Eyes and the Impossible follows Johannes, a wild, unkept dog living in a big park inside a city. And to me, this book is hugely about identity. How does Johannes define himself? Wow. Um, well, I think he's, you know, he learns a bit about his identity as we go along because he's a, a feral, more or less orphan of a dog that really knows very little about where he came from. And I think he, you know, he forges his identity or it becomes more clear to him as in terms of what he does mm. and how he's seen as useful to the the other animals in the park. There's a bunch of bison that live in the park and they're sort of the kind of the overlords or the wise wisest of the animals in the park but they're fenced in they're kept within a small enclosure and so it's up to Johannes to be the eyes to roam the park to circle it every day to see what needs to be seen to make sure that nothing is upsetting the equilibrium of the park and so i think Johannes primarily you know he sees himself through that his usefulness his speed his duties his uh how he serves the other animals and especially his closest friends who are sort of the assistant eyes to him so um i guess that's how i would define him you know he he revels and exults in his speed and vision and so i think he finds great joy in the fact that those two tools that he's been given are valued by the bison, are valued by the other animals, and that they entrust him with keeping them all safe. 
And can we talk about finding that voice for you as a, as a writer, the stray dog character? Well, it started with a, extensive interviews with dogs. <laughs> I started doing research many years ago, uh, interviewing Captain Stray Dogs. No, I mean, that's really, I mean, I'm a journalist by training. And so it's weird when you just make stuff up um, <laughs> in fiction. But it was, I had just read, i written The Every, which was kind of a very suffocating dystopian not suffocating for the reader. It's super fun. So go and go and read it. Um, but for me, writing about sort of a, a, a tech dystopia, um, I needed a break and a pivot and I needed a palate cleanser. So this had been on my mind for, honest to God, almost 20 years is this voice and this character, Johannes. And, um, and I love writing from the point of view of, of a dog like this, who's sort of on untethered in every way, even the twists and turns of his mind kind of have no boundary or linearity really. And to sort of have that total abandon, total freedom was super liberating for me at a very key time. I needed I needed something different. And so this is really the most fun you can have as a writer is to sort of write from this point of view where you're just unencumbered by a lot of laws, of logic, of linearity, of human kind of uh, rules of expression. And so there's so much in their universe that's totally different. And so um, as a writer, this was the most fun I've had probably in 25 years. So let's talk about this place, the setting, the park. It has some park infrastructure and developments. It's close to neighborhoods and close to the sea, but it's mostly really wild. And and these wild animals band together to oversee it. Can you tell us about this setting and, and why its wildness is so important to Johannes? Well, have you ever been to Golden Gate Park up here in San Francisco? I have. I have. So I don't know if you if you got that taste of it when you were there, but I'm from Chicago originally, and the park, Golden Gate Park, is very much unlike anything we had in my upbringing, and where things are a little bit more manicured, and um, there's not as much open space. So all over Northern California, you know, there's just miles upon miles of open land uh, all along the coast, and then the park is kind of a mic- microcosm of it, where it's so big. I mean, it was all dunes way back when, and then they filled it in and planted all these plants and ingenious engineering of agricultural um, innovation. And and now most of the park is utterly untamed, I think. It's not like Central Park where every little inch of it is just so. It's really still quite wild. And, um, and there's roads that lead to nowhere, and there's paths that... There's nothing, almost nothing mapped really. Like I, every time I'm there, I get lost. And I love it because it is so sort of big and loose and messy and untamed. And so it served as kind of the inspiration for the book. It's not the setting because people will realize pretty quickly that it departs from Golden Gate Park in a lot of ways. But as an inspiration, I, I started there. And I think that you know, um, San Diego has all kinds of, you know, beautiful open spaces too. And Mm -hmm. I think cities have got to allow for those untamed parts and, 
And we have got to resist the temptation to put more stuff in every little uh, corner of our public parks or shorelines or anything. We've got to allow it to be, um, uh, you know, unbounded and um, and uh, untamed. Dave, would you mind reading a short section from The Eyes and the Impossible? Yeah, this is the first page. I turn, I turn, I turn before I lie to sleep and I rise before the sun. I sleep inside and sleep outside and have slept in the hollow of a thousand-year-old tree. When I sleep, I need warmth, I need quiet, I need freedom from sound. When I sleep, I dream of mothers and clouds. Clouds are messengers of God. And I dream of papooses, for I love papooses, and I eat them with gusto. I am a dog called Johannes, and I have seen you. I have seen you in this park, my home. If you have come to this park, my vast green and wind-blown park by the sea, I have seen you. I have seen everyone who has been here, the walkers and runners and bikers and horse riders and the bison seekers and the picnickers and the archers in their cloaks. When you have come here, you have come to my home where I am the eyes. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Julia Dixon Evans, and I'm talking with Dave Eggers, author of, most recently, The Eyes and the Impossible. So this book was also about friendship for me, the the interactions and almost devotion between some of these animals just brought me so much joy. What does this mm. book say about friendship? Yeah, I'm glad you took that away. I I knew that it would be about that to some extent, but I found that the interactions with the animals, because there's a pelican, there's a, a uh, seagull, there's a uh, raccoon, there's a one-eyed squirrel. Um, <laughs> two raccoons, actually, they're very uh, arrogant. But I found that that friendship part and the way that they sort of rely on each other and really count on each other without doubt or condition kept growing in terms of its presence in the book. And it gave me really great happiness to write about that. And I realized that I hadn't really written about friendship in a lot of years. Um, it's sort of a topic that I think we neglect a lot of times as novelists because I don't know, maybe it's just like the air we breathe or, or it doesn't have the inherent drama sometimes of some other topics. But when we read about it and when I read other books that depict it well, and when people actually come through for each other, it gives you great joy, I think. And so to me, I, I allowed these characters and these friends to show up for each other and save each other and bolster each other and and be noble about it and so sort of nothing more fun than writing a noble character really mm. and you know on the flip side i i want to talk about kind of a cultural sore spot about animals you know nobody wants to see beloved animals be sad or get hurt and how do you approach writing about suffering and even grief, not just in a story for all age readers, but in a story where those characters are animals? Well, I do want to tell everybody that, that none of your favorite characters dies in this book. <laughs> do you know that I ran into a reader in Chicago? Uh, I was talking to you know mom and her daughter, and she said, I can't read the book until you tell me if anyone's going to die. And I said, yes, I get it. I get it. I, I have killed dogs in books before. 
And this one, no, none of, uh, I, I, I didn't do that. I didn't go there. But there are moments where there's some suffering and which actually is, is a little bit even harder to write in a way and more poignant, I think. Having as a novelist a character that you create and care about and you want the reader to care about and then killing them off, it happens and it's truthful, but I think sometimes it's almost uh, too easy to go there. But it was very uh, liberating in a weird in a weird way to just mm -hmm. find ways that they could develop without having to react to the death of one of them. So just over 20 years ago, possibly right when you first started thinking about this story, you founded the nonprofit 826 Valencia, which has since grown into 826 National. This is a, a writing lab and a creative studio for youth. Can you tell us a little bit about this project? My mom was a teacher, and um, a lot of my best friends after college became teachers here in the Bay. We would just talk all the time, just talk about their work and the difficulties of it. And again and again, they kept saying if, you know, they might have 120 different students in a given day, and they couldn't reach or couldn't give all the one-on-one -on -one time to each one of the students, especially those struggling with the written word or with or English language learners. And they said, if I had, you know, four hours a week with each one of these students, I might be able to keep them interested and at grade level and inspired, but I don't. Just, if only I could clone myself. And I sort of took that idea and thought of all of the freelance writers I knew, copy editors, advertising writers, uh, you know, technical writers, people that had expertise in that and also some free time, some flexibility with their day. Mm -hmm. And I sort of sought to make that clone army of teachers, <laughs> teacher helpers that could take the teacher's lesson plans and then after school, give those students that one-on-one -on -one attention so that they felt confident the next day. And it expanded from homework help to publishing programs to public events to, uh, you know, in-school help to teacher professional training to you know, uh, you name it, it kept growing in all of these different directions. But most of it is based on community members who volunteer their time to sit side by side with students and shine a light on their written work to say, that is really interesting. And let's make it even better. So at this point, I think we've published maybe 5,000 books nationwide wow. in the last 20 years. It's grown in so many different ways. And the idea has been adopted all over the world. There's about 72 centers now that are based on the same model. Up here, our theme is pirate is a pirate store. Uh -huh. All of them have sort of like different, you know, they instead of it being a place for kids that need extra help, it's a pirate store. And so you walk through an active actual business that sells supplies to the working buccaneer. <laughs> and then behind that is a tutoring center and writing center. And so the kids all come in. There's no stigma. There's no power. There's no nothing. It's a neutral space for kids that want to work on their writing. That's simple. So I'm curious how working with youth for so long has shaped your own writing. Is there something that you have learned from your students? You know, the main thing that you learn every day, because I'll go over there and see what, what they wrote today, these books that they write are so unhinged and so ludicrous. And we try to affirm their weirdest ideas. Weird is always celebrated and always accepted. We always say, yeah, yeah, keep going. Yeah, what else? 
And I think that when you can introduce the idea of just totally liberated writing that's about fun, we teach story, we teach character development, we teach all the terminology that, and that's all baked in. But subject matter, you've got to let the kids drive that and be as weird as they possibly can. Childhood is, should be a time where creativity is seen as totally uh, untethered. That was KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans speaking with writer Dave Edgers about his latest book, The Eyes and the Impossible. He'll have a book event at the San Diego Central Library on Monday, October 9th at 7 p.m. Coming up, Beth Accomando has a preview of the Italian Film Festival. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back to Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. The San Diego Italian Film Festival returns to the Museum of Photographic Arts tonight for its 17th edition. The film festival showcases an Italian perspective through shorts, features, and documentaries, even animated films. KPBS film critic Beth Accomando previews the festival with its artistic director, Antonio Iannotta. Antonio, you are on the eve of a new San Diego Italian Film Festival, and one thing that you do every year is you pick a theme. So tell us what this year's theme is going to be. This year's theme is going to be forward, because this is going to be the first year that we had to choose our theme without our president and founder, Victor LaRuccia. So we didn't have any doubt uh, with my partners in crime that forward uh, would have been uh, the right theme to do that. This is the 17th edition. We know and we promise Victor to move on and to go on with uh, our um, San Diego Italian Film Festival. So forward had to be the theme. And so now we really look forward to start uh, the new edition of Festivale. And Victor's passing was a big impact on the festival. So how has it been moving forward with this? Ah, <laughs> thank you for making me cry. And it's been, it's, it's been very painful. It's been very painful, very difficult. Uh, but also we're um, now with time uh, passing by, we are um, realizing how proud also we are for all what Victor, you know, started uh, and now we are able to continue this. Of course, we continue this because there is a community. 
There is a community of uh, film lovers, there is a community of people that love uh, Italian culture, and more important, there is a community of people that uh, think that watching these movies uh, can really foster conversations and dialogue uh, around uh, topics that are very relevant uh, for uh, our society here in San Diego, here in the United States, uh, with uh, an Italian perspective. And tell us what you have for opening night of the festival. We have an extraordinary film by Paolo Virzi, Siccità. Uh, Siccità translates as in drought. And is a dark comedy, a, very, a movie with many, many characters in a dystopic near future. We're in Rome. Uh, it's not been raining for uh, months. The Tiber is completely dry. Che viene purificata e desalinizzata. Ma è l'acqua del mare. Doing something like in the Barcelona public water networks, where most 20% of the water in the pipelines is desalinated by seawater. Exactly, like Barcelona. But this is not a movie about uh, sociology or about just about climate change. It's a movie rooted in the dramas of the everyday life of many, many characters that uh, uh, have their lives, uh, yes, affected by this climate crisis, yes, affected by an epidemic, many, many problems, but then they are humans. So they cope with the situation, they get used to the situation, and they move on with their life. And what's also interesting about that film is Italy was hit, was one of the countries hit the hardest by the pandemic. And you feel a layer of that in the film as a means of kind of working through it and moving forward past that. Yes, exactly. That's why we all also decided to open with that movie, because it's a way to deal with the situation that deeply affected Italy. And also, you know, Italians were also, uh, for a certain amount uh, of time, very good in trying to observe uh, certain rules uh, and try to figure out a way to, to, move, uh, to move forward. But then we're humans, so I don't know if we learned our lesson. Some of us did, probably, but many others didn't. And so, you know, that's also a metaphor, an allegory of what we as humans never learn, never want to learn. But still, we find ways to move forward. And it's also an interesting film because there is also a layer of science fiction to it. Not a heavy dose, but there have been a few films at your festival that kind of have that same sort of feel, a a sense of dealing with the future, but not in a totally far-fetched, unrealistic way. Uh, Yes, science fiction is one of my favorite genres in in literature and also in film, of course. So wherever I can feel that uh, nuance, that touch, uh, it also interests me. But you're totally right. It's uh, not a genre that Italian movies uh, today deal with uh, the rules of the genre, but it's more like in the background. It's more like in a possible uh, dystopic future, but it has to be very realistic uh, in a way. And the movie really plays with that. Uh, It's going to be gorgeous uh, on the big screen uh, to see and to be in a Rome that has been so deeply affected by such a catastrophe, it's going to be very interesting. But we know that Rome is the eternal city, so in a way, you know, we know that it's going to survive. 
Now, that film looks to the future, but you have a film that looks to the past as well, Prima Donna, which shed a light on something I did not know about in Italy. Uh, yes, Prima Donna uh, is based on the real story of Franca Viola, that was the first uh, Sicilian in the 60s to say no to her abductor and uh, rapist. At that time, uh, you could have the matrimonio riparatore, that was a brutal uh, law, so that uh, if a man would you know, abuse of you, if you get married with that man, all the charges would drop uh, to the man, and the community would restore a sort of uh, order, a sort of balance. Franca Viola said no. Non è vero. Cosa che fanno i ragazzi, tutti i fidanzati, tutte le coppie le fanno, cosa normale, signor Giulio? Non è vero, lo sai pure tu che non è vero. Dai, ammina facci quando riesci. Che piacere, No thanks. I don't want to do that. First her family was opposing her decision, but that in particular her father really helped her to carry on. And she became and she's still a symbol for the power of women to go against this brutal form of patriarchy that is still on in societies everywhere, also here in the States. Uh, let's think about the difficulties uh, and the attack towards uh, women's rights uh, at large uh, and still in Italy. So, you know, Marta Savina, the director of this movie, wants to again put a spotlight uh, on women's rights. And so we were super happy to, to welcome this new movie, this very recent movie uh, in our festival. And one of your short films also deals with Italian law and sheds a light on how people who are born there to foreign parents don't necessarily have a right to citizenship immediately. Gentile giovane. Nell'anno in corso, compirai o hai compiuto 18 anni? Yeah, that's another very bad uh, law uh, of Italy, but that's also a way to talk about Italy as, uh, as a country that is very traditional and we need to push uh, to change it. La cittadinanza italiana. The short that you're mentioning, Beth, it's called Un milione di italiani non sono italiani. A million of Italians are not still Italians. And that's because uh, if you come to Italy and you're not Italian, you're an immigrant, and you have children in Italy, so children that are born in Italy, their only country has been Italy, they speak Italian, they speak the local dialects, they go to school, well, they're not Italians. They're not Italians, they can apply for citizenship when they turn 18, but it's not their right. So they have one year window of time to have that application uh, go, uh, go through. And if they're not successful, they're going to have many, many difficulties to become a citizen. And that's just uh, plain wrong. Most of Italians want to change this law. We have a very conservative uh, government right now in Italy, so it's not going to happen today, but it will happen eventually. And this number, un milione, a million, uh, it's not just uh, a symbolic number. It's really close to one million of people that today in Italy, they are Italians by all means, but they don't have uh, the Italian citizenship, the Italian passport. Now, one of the things about this film that reflects the festival is, although it's very specifically Italian, it also reflects issues that are going on here in San Diego and the United States. Uh, absolutely. That's uh, uh, the reason why we have uh, 
this festival and our festival has been successful exactly for this reason. Even though it's an Italian film festival and we have uh, Italian features, shorts, dramas, comedies that are very specifically rooted in Italian culture, but there is always a, a possibility to create a dialogue about topics, issues, problems, questions that are relevant here. Here in San Diego, in a city that is on the border with Mexico, here in California, here in the United States. So uh, most of our movies uh, have uh, uh, introductions uh, that provide a, a cultural, historical context, but even more important, uh, Q&As, dialogues, opportunities for everybody in the audience to ask a question, to make a comment, and to see if we can use movies, uh, not just for our entertainment, that it's already great and beautiful, but also to, to think about something that is relevant today. Since we brought up the shorts, once again, I've been fortunate enough to be on the jury for judging the Ristretto shorts. But tell us about this program and why it's important to you to get this collection of short films. This, this was another program that with uh, Victor, Victor and I talk about, uh, we started talking about this program uh, maybe seven, eight years ago, ten years ago. And then, uh, you know, all of a sudden we decided, okay, we don't have sponsors, we don't have money, but we want to do it. And so this is our fifth edition. Every year is more successful. We received more than 100 submissions. An amazing uh, selection committee that I coordinate uh, have... Uh, a pool of finalists, 10, 15 shorts, and then we hand them out to, to the jury that uh, you and other uh, fabulous uh, experts have to give the awards. And this is the first year that we have decided to screen all the finalists, all the 13 finalists, not only online, so people can buy a pass and also vote for their favorite movie, for the audience, the Ristretto Audience Award, but also in a theater also on a big screen here at the digital gym because the production's values of these shorts are just amazing. And during our last event, the Festa, the big party, Saturday, October the 14th at the Museum of Photographic Arts, we're going to announce and screen again the winners of the, of the Ristretto. And the competition is open to everybody. Uh, it's open to Italian directors, of course, but to also directors from all over the world that deal with uh, an Italian topic. And uh, um, we want more of those movies coming from all around the world, but I would say so far so good. And are there any other films that you'd like to highlight? Uh, at least one, uh, of course, people that know me know that uh, one of my favorite cities in the world is uh, Napoli is Naples and this year we we have another extraordinary film set in Naples called Nostalgia or Nostalgia in Italian directed by Mario Martone we already screened several movies by Mario Martone at our festival and also this movie is just amazing it's set in the Rione Sanità in one of the many uh, hearts of the city <laughs> and deals with uh, uh, many, many topics. Uh, one is, uh, does nostalgia really exist? What is uh, uh, what we uh, think about uh, nostalgic thoughts? Our childhood was really happy, 
not just for the characters of the movie, for everybody. And, uh, you know, the cinematography is just stunning, the story is very compelling, and uh, the actors are just amazing. So I really hope that everybody can come and watch Nostalgia together. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for talking about this year's San Diego Italian Film Festival. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you at the movies. That was Beth Accomando speaking with Antonio Iannotta of the San Diego Italian Film Festival. The 17th edition runs through October 14th with both in-person and online film screenings. That's our show for the week. Don't forget to watch Evening Edition tonight at 5. The Roundtable is here tomorrow at noon. And if you ever miss a show, you can find the Midday Edition podcast on all platforms. Before we go, earlier this week, we had a show about zero emission vehicles, and you all had a lot to say about them. Here are some of the comments. I think it's really important that the state legislator goes forward with and passes SB 299 bill that will provide for reverse charging of electric vehicles. I know for me, ever since the pandemic, I've been working from home and my usage, uh, fuel usage, by not commuting daily has dropped by two thirds. So if you really want to hit those goals, we need to really encourage telecommuting and uh, things like that. We really appreciate you all sharing your thoughts. Keep them coming. Midday Edition is produced by Juliana Domingo, Andrew Bracken, Brooke Ruth, Laura McCaffrey, and Ariana Clay. Art segment contributors are Beth Accomando and Julia Dixon-Evans. Our technical producers are Adrian Villalobos and Rebecca Chacon. I'm Jade Hindman. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the weekend, everyone. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.